This is Residence 104.4 FM. Flipping marvellous, obviously. Uh, I'm Nick Hennigan, and welcome to another episode, another slice of Literary London, which is um, kind of moving about a little bit. Oh, yes, because this episode of Literary London is, in fact, going to be all about literary Birmingham. Oh, Britain's second city. The deputy law mayor once said Britain's first provincial city, but that's also a bit controversial. And um, a city that's hosting the Commonwealth Games in 2022 and a city that has produced a writer called Stephen Pennell uh, and a book called King City. And if you're watching this in stereo, you'll be able to see that I'm holding up a copy of the book now. If you're on FM, of course, you'll be able to see that as well. Uh, we're also, of course, as always, on uh, 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 we're at on uh, YouTube. YouTube channels, all good podcast uh, suppliers and probably some of the bad podcast suppliers as well. And of course, uh, uh, bohemianbritain.com. God, the list gets endless, doesn't it? Anyway, so welcome, Stephen. Thanks for coming for a chat, mate. Hi, Nick. Thanks very much for having me on, mate. It's a pleasure. Well, and full disclosure, of course, I should now share, and one or two people know this, the fact that I was born, bought up, dragged up, uh, as we often said around our neck of the woods in Birmingham myself. So this could be a bit of a second city loving, uh, which I think is absolutely fine. Because, I mean, the book is called King City, Adventures into Birmingham's Diverse Music Culture. And we must have a chat about your journey as a writer and how it all came about and how it was published. and so. But I just wanted to talk a bit first. Well, first of all, apologise, because my knowledge of contemporary music finished with the Osmonds, I think. No, no, not quite, a bit later than that. Uh, and of course, uh, being, uh, you know, being a Brummie and being in Birmingham quite a lot, uh, I was always impressed. And I still tell friends in London that most pubs on a, on a Friday or a Saturday night have a band on. I mean, that's not completely true, but a lot of them do. Um, and I was dragged up around the corner from a pub called The Hare and Hands in King's Heath, uh, mm-hmm. which, uh, which features quite a lot in your book. And we'll talk, in fact, I knew the guy that owned it before the current people. Used to be a milkman in Hollybank Road in Billsley. Just thought I'd share that one with you. So, but I wanted to talk first of all a, a bit about Birmingham because we get—I say we Birmingham Brummies tend to get a bit of grief for all sorts of reasons. There's the the accents, and I love the fact that you're in your introduction to this book. Um, you actually say, I think your first line in the introduction is, "Birmingham is probably the most creative city on earth." Now people might go, "Really?" <laughs> well, yeah, I mean. Um culturally literate just on on a, on a literary thing we've got um you know tolkien uh barbara cartland very wide very wide uh, mix um lee child shakespeare's just down the road you know so that's uh, just on, on literature but uh i was i was thinking more of um on an industrial level as, as stephen knight from uh, who, who wrote peaky blinders said you know, the modern world was invented in Hansworth by some scientists. Yeah. Uh, and and it, it goes on today. You know, the, the patents office says uh, that, you know, that they just they just don't know what's going on in Birmingham. You know, out of 4,000 patents, 2,800 every year come from within 35 miles of Birmingham, which is pretty amazing. Really. You know, it's like we, we come up with 70% of the ideas out of a million of the population and the other 64 million come up with the other 30% of ideas. 
Yeah, it's quite a phenomenal, and it's there in black and white, isn't it? I mean, it's a fact that the, the patent thing that was that was that was quite remarkable. And I know in Birmingham, they, I mean, I'd, I haven't been into town for for a while, but James Watt and the first electric light bulb and the first factories, they all sort of came out of Birmingham, didn't they? Yeah, the, um, the, you know, the Midland Enlightenment, the guys from the uh, Lunar Society, which included sort of Matthew Bolton, James Watt. Um, uh, Wedgwood, Josiah Wedgwood, um, Erasmus Darwin, who was Charles's granddad, who had some interesting thoughts on evolution himself, of course. So, you know, there was quite a, you know, the, the British anti-slavery movement started there. Um, Benjamin Franklin used to come over to see them. Yeah. So it's quite a, a very important enlightenment. The, the yeah. And is that, I don't know if that got, is that gold statue still there in Centenary Square of the three of them? I think it's... Uh, James Brindley and and James Watt and someone else. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, they they move it about because they're always uh, knocking things down and 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 rebuilding and that's that that's like the constant thing in Birmingham, really, isn't it? They're always knocking things down and then rebuilding it. I do like. I mean, it was there's a thing actually down by Birmingham um, on on uh, Hurst Street by the Birmingham Hippodrome. Uh, and it's now run by the National Trust, isn't it? And basically, it's the back-to-back -back houses. So they're kind of the slums in Birmingham. And they were knocking them all down so quickly. Someone eventually said, oh, hang on. We yeah. need to just hang on. You know, for historical reasons, nothing's going to get old. And, and the National Trust moved in. And I gather you can, or you could anyway, you could actually go and sort of stay there in a, I say, in a Birmingham slum. I mean, the back-to-back -back houses were very specific, weren't they? Yeah, yeah, they're still there. And I think you can do a tour. I don't know whether you can stay there, but you can do a tour. And and um, not not far from the uh, from the gold statue, which they they sort of cleaned up and everything not long ago. They've, they've put um, there's a there's a Black Sabbath one there, not far from there as well, a Black Sabbath bench, and then there's a, and there's a Tony Hancock statue. So there's there's some recognition of our culture. Going yeah, on. yeah. I mean, I actually took out a tour to play about Tony Hancock called Hancock's Finest Hour. Uh, and it was great, the reaction up and down the country to, I mean, Tony Hancock, for those that don't know, was a, was a sort of a, an icon of comedy, really, in the in the 60s, I guess. Would he have been 60s and 70s? Um, uh, uh, yeah, and, and the, there, is a, there was a fantastic statue. I, I love the fact as well that in your book you talk about, and I know Jimmy from UB40, Jimmy's uh, the drummer, uh, he, he talks a little bit about why, why, there, why there isn't really a Birmingham sound yeah, well, Jimmy, Jimmy's um, thing is it's too diverse. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, as he says, like, you know, as you, as you draw a line between Duran um, Duran, Black Sabbath and UB40 and everything else in between. And then, you know, the, the book's only, I don't know, 60 odd thousand words. And, and it's, it's really, it's not enough. You know, it's just my personal uh, sort of musical journey. And um, I think I was talking to you about it. I mean... The, the, there's a there's a there's a school of thought that says Pram made the best uh, album of the nineties, and there's there's nothing really about Pram in the book. Yeah, there's broadcast. There's there's so much more that I can't fit in. You know, it, it'd be a, it, you need a, an Encyclopedia Britannica, I think, to get it all in. I quite like the fact as well that you, you and Jimmy and also uh, from the Wonder Stuff, I think Bobby, I think it was the Wonder Stuff, was saying that the other reason, in a sense, that Birmingham hasn't got that uh, swagger. Or, or, or at least, uh, yeah, or at least the sound is that we're not we're not a, a port city. 
there's no port, there's no London, there's no sea, there's no people coming from overseas like Liverpool or Manchester or, of course, London. Yeah, that, yeah, that's uh, that's another one of Jimmy's theories where we, you know, because we're not a port city, we just have to sort of just get on with it. Yeah, we can't stay linked into uh, our, our ancient cultures because we just got to we're right in the middle and we just got to make a new one. Yeah, and and I, I also like the fact you mentioned in the book, and it's a slightly racist thing to say now, but I know we used to say it a lot when we were kids that you could tell a true Brummie uh, because by, he wore camrock in his turban. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And actually, I mean, I, I think you mentioned in the book that it is slightly racist, but actually we own that as Brummies. And I, I, I'm quite proud of that. I, I quite like the fact that, that Birmingham has got that diversity. And I, get, I mean, you look again, you know, stuff that when, when the UBs were kicking off, that's the multicultural thing was, was sort of felt quite normal to, to Brummies, but seemed quite radical to everyone else in the, city, in the country as I got it, because I travelled around a bit when I was working on a radio station, I was working on VR&B, which used to be in Birmingham, so we used to get to see quite a lot of the, of the gigs and stuff. I also quite like the fact that UB40, uh, their last album launch, I think it was, the last compartment, they were all still, still together, uh, they insisted it was done in Birmingham. And I had a record company rep moaning to me like crazy <laughs> that it was this big, and now we're going to have to bring everyone up to Birmingham. I mean, so what's your what's your own story then? Tell us about about you, about you, Stephen. So is it obviously music's a passion? Yeah. Well, where, are you a Brummy sort of born born and bred Brummy? Brummy born and bred, yeah, Villa fan, you know. Um, oh, this is the moment I was waiting for. By the way, this is the cup I got me coffee in. So. Uh. <laughs> You'll see this if you're looking in stereo. It's actually a Birmingham City Football Club mug. Um, I will go just to qualify that. I did a version of Romeo and Juliet at the Edinburgh Festival uh, two years ago, and I didn't want it to be all you know posh houses. So the two houses in the Romeo and Juliet were two houses, one at either end of the road, and instead of the Capulets being all kind of political, it was basically Blues versus Villa. I'd actually thought in, in Scotland of doing Rangers versus Celtic, but that just got too political. So Blues versus Villa was kind of you know. Agro enough. And yeah. that, as a kid, I guess you must have had it all the time as a kid. Are you are you either Villa or you Blues? Really, Wall Ramp yeah. not really come into it. <laughs> well, I'm and I'm I'm in a, a Blues area as well. So, uh, so you know, I'm not going to hold it against you because like I've got loads of uh, I've got loads of Blues mates. But at least you know there's there's real hatred and everything there with Blues and Villa. But at least there's no religion. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's kind of a, yeah, the Zulu Warriors. I, I, I did another play about four kids growing up in Birmingham and the Zulu, Zulu, Zulus. And every time we did that in Birmingham in a pub, the Bilsley pub, we did it to start with. That always got a reaction. Less of a reaction at the end of the festival. I don't think they understood what Zulus were. But anyway, uh, yeah, it's a grand thing. So, you, so are your folks Brummies as well? I mean, well, what's your yeah. background? Um, my mum my was from uh, Celio uh, and my dad was from uh, Borsali. So I think we, we did have a, I don't know who's got it now, but we did have a Bible with a family tree in it that went back about 200 years. And I think the furthest away person in it was from Evesham. Wow. So, um, yeah, so, and that, you know, obviously there was a lot of, um, there was a lot of migration from places like Evesham into Birmingham when the Industrial Revolution started and everyone came to work in the factories from out of the countryside, didn't they? Yeah, of course, get for the money and uh, yeah, regular work and stuff. Yeah, that happened quite a lot. I know my, yeah, my yeah, my folks are sort of Wales and Ireland, so one Wales bit actually. Um, so, and what got you into the what got you into the scene, or at least let's talk about the book directly, because you say it's partly a, a autobiography as well. 
but it's also partly to talk about some of the incredible acts that Birmingham has produced and is still producing. And I know there's a mate of mine, Robin Valk, who used to be the head of music at, at BR&B, and then John Slater, who helped us out with the Maverick Theatre Company. They were, in the early days, I think Robin Valk actually gave UB40 their first ever studio recording. And there was a sort of a, that soul, it, it seems from this book anyway, that, that that sort of musical soul in Brum is still very strong today. Yeah, um, I mean, we're not, it's, it's kind of like, um, the th- around about the time, Robin Valk was quite an important guy, weren't he? Yeah. Uh, you know, um, Dex's, Dex's Midnight Runners uh, mentioned him, don't they? In, yeah, um, yeah. My dear. And around about that time, I wrote an article the other day for, um, I've got a website, King City Online, and uh, I'm just talking about, you know, how amazingly cool it was, especially back then, you know, you had um, you had Duran Duran, I think it might be a, it might be apocryphal, I'm not sure, but Apparently, there was one time when there was a studio uh, with th- with three recording suites in, and in one was Duran Duran, another one was Dex's Midnight Runners, and another one was UB40. You know, we were just all over. After virtually dominating like the album charts throughout the early 70s with ELO and Sabbath and Led Zeppelin, then the singles charts sort of came in the late 70s and early 80s with Dex's UB40. Uh, like you say, Duran Duran, Musical Youth, first black video ever played on uh, MTV. You know, um, and now we're not sort of um, dominating the mainstream so much, but it all depends on your perception, um, you know, because we're really big in rap. Uh, yeah. I know you, you talk about the rap battle. Rap, I've got that right. Yeah, rap yeah. Rap. It's, got, it's called a, a clash in it. Um, so yeah, um, three of my kids are uh, battle rappers, um, and that's and that's really that's really fun. And um, tell us about that, how that works. And I love the fact your kids have got like street names. Well, not street names. They've got rap names, haven't they? Yeah, <laughs> which I loved. Uh, L- how Lux- does that work? Uh, Luxy Penance and Tidal, yeah. Um, <laughs> they're just uh, you know, it's a whole net. It's a whole network of platforms where. Uh, people get in touch with each other and say, um, you know, uh, they, they have the, they have these events where people battle, and basically what they do is they just slag each other off in 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 rhyme. Um, it's you know, like if you've seen the film uh, Eight Mile with Eminem. Yeah, yeah. Um, so that's basically that's basically what it is, and they're, they're all really good at it. We we watched Eight Mile a lot when they were when they were little, and uh, obviously it's had an effect on them. And I suppose, in a sense, so it, it, the music, it's not just the music, of course, then you, you actually created the lyrics sort of almost as a reaction to what, what's been said to you. Is that yeah. how it works? Yeah. So you've got to be fairly creative to, to get, get into that. Well, you, you can write for someone. You know who you're going to battle. So you write especially for them. You sort of look, they, they look on each other's social media and find things that they can take the mickey out of. But then um, occasionally, like you say, it's quick fire, you know, you react to whatever they've said about you, and they call that a flip. Right. So you have to be. You have to. That, 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 those are the kind of things that when you're the battle, when you can do a flip, and people know, then it's off the top of your head because you're just reacting to what they've just said to you. Yeah, and presumably, because you said was there a TV show made? Yeah, uh, the Rap Game UK. Yeah. Um, and uh, we went to the the BBC asked asked the uh, the sort of local battle rap community to to stage something so that the contestants could be on it. Um, and we had that at, um, 
in Digbeth in the middle of the daytime. It was really, really weird. Nine, nine till 12 in the daytime. Then you come out at 12 o'clock and it's light and you feel like you've been in a club all night. <laughs> I used to know Digbeth was a great area. Well, I guess it still is a great area. It'll probably become a greater area, actually. But in the early days of the, uh, what was it, the Digbeth Institute, I think it was. And then it became something else. Uh, well, it was Digbeth Civic Hall, weren't it, for you? That's it, Civic Hall. Yeah, yeah, Digbeth Civic Hall. Yeah. And the old flyover that, that was supposed yeah, to be there for, yeah, yeah. temporarily. Yeah. It was what, sorry? How did the bus used to get up there? It looked too narrow. I know, but they did. It's terrifying, man. Number 24 to Bill's New Common. Oh, it was fantastic. Uh, that That's sort of all gone now, I suppose. Yeah. But um, so Digbeth, of course, uh, you know, Peaky Blinders, I suppose you mentioned Stephen Knight there, who's the writer and kind of created the, the Peaky Blinders series, which seems to have had a resonance all, the, all around the world, even though quite sadly, some of it's, or most of it seems to be filmed in Manchester. Um, and occasionally the accents get a bit wild. Yeah, the accents, the accents are a bit, uh, a bit off the mark. But um, Tommy, I think uh, Killian Murphy does it quite well. Yeah. Uh, yeah, not so much, but you know, of course, it had to be filmed in, it had to be filmed in Liverpool and Manchester because they needed to find a location that looked like Birmingham 120 years ago. And, and we'd not, and Birmingham had knocked them down more or less. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> We've done. <laughs> this is Resonance 104.4 FM. We're also on Bohemian Britain. I'm talking to Stephen Pennell, who's written a book called King City. Adventures into Birmingham's diverse music culture. So, what got you writing? I mean, we get a lot of writers who listen to literary London, obviously. Um, and I'm going to have to ask you about your process as well, because people like to know about your process. But so, are you are you a full, are you writing full time now? You've got a website. Just tell us your story. How did you start writing? I started. Uh, I had a um, a poem read out on BRMB, funnily enough, oh. when when I was about eight, um, and I didn't I didn't uh, really follow that up with the uh, the poetry and then um i was in a band that um so i wrote a few lyrics wrote a few songs terrible <laughs> but we did we did manage to get on the red wedge uh do you remember red wedge yeah yeah oh, and billy bragg yeah they talked they in support of the labor party and uh, and on that um on that tour in each town they had four local bands on the bill um so we weren't actually on the tour but we were on the birmingham leg uh, and that was a that was a dig Civic hall um but yeah we were we, we weren't very good but then i started writing for the um the villa fanzine heroes and villains first of all i started selling it uh you know just on the street outside the games and then i started writing for it and then that led to, so i was writing about football for quite a while so um, my first book was uh, Star Spangled Villains. Brilliant. Um, which was a diary of um, a season. Not from, um, I weren't really sort of talking about the football so much, but more, more about the, the, you know, the consumption of it, you know, and how, how, we, get to, how we get to games in the modern day. And, uh, you know, sometimes we'll just go and watch an illegal stream in a pub and, you know, different stuff like that. Um, it was a it was sort of a diary of the season when um, Doug Ellis left, so I thought that was something worth celebrating. Um, and then um, and then I got a bit I got a bit I sort of said everything really I had to say about football, and I started uh, then I started writing about music for uh, the Birmingham Press and um, a website called Counteract, 
Uh, then I had my my, like, my novel out, uh, Gangsters, Geezers and Muds, which that, that took about uh, 20 years to write, but it all sort of came at the same time in the last uh, year or so. So I've had what two... Made you, what made you decide, I'm going to do a novel now? Does it just... It, was it something just in you, as it were? Yeah, I, I had all the, I had all the stories. Um, basically, it's all true, and I, I just had to sort of um, weld them onto a few characters, and uh, it seemed to flow really well. Um, and then um, I sent it to my mate uh, who works at the BBC, so he's got to rename, remain uh, anonymous. <laughs> um, and he proofread it, and he said it was really good. So um, my wife, Kerry... Uh, who like does all, all the tech and everything for me. Uh, she uploaded it onto Kindle and it seemed to go quite well. So we we published a paperback uh, and that's available from uh, Old Dog Books. Old Dog Books? Uh, yeah, poor yeah. Hallam's uh, company. Gangsters, Geezers and Muds. Quality book, man. Gets yeah. fan fantastic reviews. Fantastic reviews on Amazon and that. And um Virtually, and is, it, is it is it a sorry to interrupt? Is it is it a is it a fictional book or is it? Yeah, it's yeah, it's kind of uh, it is it is fictional. Yeah, otherwise uh, I'd be locked up. <laughs> but um, you know, it's all from experience, and um, most of the stories really did happen to sort of dodgy characters from Birmingham. Um, but uh, yeah, you know, the, the characters are fictional basically, even if the stories are true. Yeah, <laughs> I'm, I'm almost tempted to join in with this, but I think we might end up libeling someone if we're not careful. But yeah, there used to be some, I used to have some, there was some nightclub birthday parties that I used to get invited to occasionally, which reminded me of scenes from The Godfather on occasions. But uh, yeah. no, I mean, having said that, there was some uh, very good, I mean, remember, do you ever get the elbow, uh, the elbow room in Aston? Yeah, yeah, the elbow uh, room was mentioned, you know, and, uh, and the yeah. Gary Owen. Oh, the Gary Owen, yeah, blimey, that was a, that was a club and a half, that was. Were the north and south sort of equivalents of each other, weren't they? Yeah, I suppose they were actually. Yeah, yeah. We thought the I mean, old big Albert at the Elbow Room. Albert, I always say Albert. Just for those that don't know, the Elbow Room is a nightclub in in Aston in Birmingham. The bouncers, I think, had been there so long they were actually sort of company directors almost. And Albert, this big bloke that ran it, who used to manage Tony Iommi as well, I think actually, okay. uh, the musician. And he he actually uh, and I used to go out because I was on the radio and we'd finish the show and go for a drink, late drink. It was all legal, of course. But then I took my old man up, and my old man, who was then 75, had never been to a nightclub, and Albert gave him lifelong membership, which I always he gave him a gold card with life membership forever. Uh, and I always quite, I, I liked Albert for that. I thought that was a nice, a nice thing to do. So, yeah. so, you, so you bought the Gangsters book out, and then, and then, so you say it went quite well, and you got a hard copy. How, how did things develop after that? Well, with the with um, King City, what happened was. Um... Uh, I, I did a review of a book about Digbeth, um, and uh, it was mainly a photographic book. But I didn't, I didn't think it was very good, you know. And I, ga I gave it quite um, uh, not a very good review at all, really. I mean, I said, I said to my editor, I said at the end of the review, shall I put the name of the publisher and the price? And he said, there's no point. He said, no one's going to buy it after reading that. Um, so, um, and the publisher got in touch with me then and said, we, we. We read your review and we thought it was quite fair. The book didn't really turn out how we wanted it to. Uh, and they said, do you, do you think you could do one, uh, a book about Digbeth? And I said, well, I go out in Digbeth a lot, so I could do one about nights out in Digbeth. You know, and then uh, I thought, you know, obviously I expanded it to different things like um, 
that you know the hair and hands i thought you know i don't think i had quite enough gigs that were just in digbeth so i sort of expanded it to the whole of birmingham and then there's the odd uh, there's the odd travelogue piece like me and my wife had a great weekend in uh, new york um and the brummy connection was we went to see aj who had a brummy trainer and that's kind of why we went really because there was a lot of brummies when yeah, cracking around you know yeah yeah how oh, fantastic uh so uh yeah that, so they, they liked it and um you know we did the crowdfunding it was uh successful and that's you know was that through what unbound unbound yeah yeah because tell us a bit about them because you sort of you, they're a publisher. This seems like a great idea, and in fact, that's where I've heard about this through from on that. But it's a fairly cool idea. But you have to get you written your book first, and then they have to agree that they're going to publish it. Is that how it works? And then they say, "Would anyone?" Then they approach their their readership. You know, their their mailing yeah, list, yeah. Uh, and um, they give you a target to raise. And we did. I think it was quite an ambitious target, seven thousand five hundred. But we got a fair bit of the way there, and they and the history press and unbound between them decided to go go for it anyway. Uh, thankfully, so uh, thanks to everyone who uh, supported that, including yourself, Nick. Ah, uh, yeah, you're welcome. I was just uh, there is I quite like the little thing. There's a, yeah, there's a list of names at the back of the book of uh, of everybody who who helped out, and I recognise a lot of them as well. Yeah, there's me, <laughs> um, and it's a great idea. And I, I suppose the thing that also attracted me is that you've also kind of hit the nail on the head about being sort of self-effacing. Brummies kind of are a little bit, aren't they? I mean, I and I, I, I say that because I mean, Maverick Theatre, we did fairly well. I mean, I now realise, but it was always, we were always little, I mean, this place, I mean, now we call, which you'll see if you're listening in stereo, of course, the World Corporate Headquarters, I call it, you know, and we've got the, the, this is the staff canteen, you know, with a kettle and pot noodles, and it's sort of the breakout area is the Weatherspoons over the road. And, and it was my sister who said, stop being a Brummie about it all and there is some truth in that sort of self-deprecation do you not think yeah definitely without a doubt yeah i mean um again as um uh, as miles Hunt says you know um every, every band they met from liverpool and manchester miles Hunt out the wonder stuff of course uh he said every band we met from liverpool or manchester would come out and say you know we're the best band in the world ever and he said but he said brummy bands never say that yeah. Uh, Nuddy Older never said that. He didn't. He just didn't need to. He said because, in his opinion, you know, um, Midlanders are sort of more comfortable in their own skin, and it negates the need for them to show off. Uh, he said, uh, but you know, I, I do think it's a bit. Uh, it it does get under my skin a little bit. I, I do wish we'd show off a bit more. Yeah, and I think I think you're quite right. And I also noticed. I mean, actually, you're very you're very positive and also a bit negative about the BBC, which a lot of people in Birmingham are, because we used to have, I keep saying we, I mean London never, but we, we, used to have, we used to have Pebble Mill, which was, I, mean, I worked there for a while, I worked on Radio WM for a while, uh, mm. and it was a fantastic, I mean, centre of excellence, and, and then they've moved into what they call the mailbox, and I remember a friend of mine who worked for the BBC, she's just retired, so I, I went, hello Lynn, uh, and she was saying, yeah, everyone's talking about this fantastic new mailbox, so do you realise that there are a thousand car parking spaces here, and we still run out of space, there's 20 at the mailbox and everyone was starting to think oh maybe this isn't quite the spectacular move that it is and you you mentioned the fact that you know uh, obviously you went to a, a, a do where there was bbc catering and you and the guys as, as much as you could you got to get your money you know the license fee money back somehow but then you also say they do the, again i think it's wm you mentioned that they've done pretty good in they are doing quite well in promoting new bands 
Yeah, man. I mean, everyone, everyone's trying really hard. I just think the, the investment's not there uh, on a, you know, from, from the national center of it, you know, when, when the BBC decided it was going to sort of decentralize from London, basically what, what that did really was like virtually close everything in Birmingham and just move that, which, which don't seem to be uh, the point really, you know, maybe they should have just kept Birmingham as it was with Pebble Mill. Um, You know, loads of good stuff uh, came out of Birmingham. Um, and of course, central TV sort of that that went by the by as well. I mean, if you think back to ATV, yeah, it was massive, weren't it? It was um, was it uh, was it Lou Grade? Yeah, yeah. You know, uh, we had uh, you know loads of television coming out of Birmingham, um, and that and that went by the by as well. When I think it was taken over by Granada or something, and they just moved everything out. So there was a big, there was a, a lot more of a media industry back in, you know, the late 70s, early 80s, and it all seemed to sort of just disappear. But the people who are still here, I think, do great work still. Like, yeah. I, uh, the people at WM on local music, Alex Noble, Tim Senna, you know, they're, 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 doing their, they're doing their very best, but, you know, I just think they could do with a bit more support from a national, from the centre, really. Well, who knows after this? <laughs> and so brilliant. Oh, it's lovely to talk to you, Stu. It was busted. I say busted, but it, and I must. Have, I'll apologise for the Blooms mug. Once it's a Boom City Football mug, it was actually a prop from our production end, but that's my excuse. And I was also around when uh, uh, Villa won the European Cup. Wait for Gary Shaw forever. But uh, we've run out of time. But thank you so that. much, Stephen. The book's called King City. Where is it available from? All good bookshops and your yeah. website. Waterstones. Um... WH Smith, yeah, all good bookshops, Amazon. Um, and don't forget Gangsters, Geezers and Muds as well. Yeah, we'll have to talk about that one, maybe come back and talk about that one. Uh, and you also got, sorry. I'll send you one. Oh, brilliant. Okay. And you've also got your of your website. Yeah, King City Online. King City uh, Online. 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 And you'll find it, yeah. That's sort of um, reviews and... Um, little cultural articles about uh, all this stuff. So there's new music on that as well, as well as some like nostalgia stuff. Brilliant. And finally, just show us your T-shirt for those watching on the video. Brilliant. Thank you so much. The book's called King City, Stephen Pennell. Uh, and that's all we've got time for. I'll see you next time. Uh, my name is Nick Hennigan. This is Literary London on Resonance 104.4 FM. <laughs>